Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Emily Wilson of One Football. Thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time. I'm I'm really excited for this and and to talk a little bit about your career and Canadian soccer. And thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem, Alex. Thanks for inviting me to come on. I, Emily, I first want to ask you a little bit about your career. Just for you, when, what was the first moment or, or when did you start thinking about pursuing a career as a soccer journalist or in, in sports journalism? Yeah, you know what? This one's a funny story. Um, I always wanted to be a journalist uh, when I was six years old. That was kind of the dream job, but I never knew what I wanted to cover. And and I'm Portuguese, so my mom's family is from Portugal. And, you know, being Canadian, being born and raised here, not a lot of people at the time growing up were focused on soccer. So I would only listen to it maybe on Portuguese radio, but I don't speak Portuguese. So mm. never really yeah, paying attention. <laughs> um, and yeah, it wasn't until um, the World Cup, and it was the Robin Van Persie diving header. I remember watching that live. I remember looking to my dad who was not paying attention, um, but I was like, wow, this is actually a huge sport that I never knew actually how followed it was in the world at the time. So I was maybe about 15 then, and it kind of just really opened up my eyes to that. So after that goal, I was like, I need to look into this a little bit more. I played sports my whole life, but I've never played soccer. So oh, wow. it was always just, what is this European based, European focused sport? And then, yeah, the Van Persie diving header is one of my favorite goals to date. And uh, from then, I started researching different teams, obviously, being Portuguese, the only player I knew at the time, <laughs> Ronaldo. So, uh, Cristiano, he played in Madrid when all that happened. So then that became the first team I followed. And then from there, it kind of just trickled off. And I tried to become more knowledgeable in the game and learn more than just Ronaldo and, you know, Real Madrid. And then here here we are, really. And and what do you like about going from someone that didn't play to someone that covers it for a profession? Like, what do you take from that to maybe give to your uh to your readers or, or or when you're writing what what do you kind of use from your background when you write yeah that's a good question um it was definitely a lot of learning I had to get up to speed very quickly obviously when I decided to make it a, a career but you know a lot of people say if you can make your hobby your job mm. then it's not a bad setup so a lot of off time watching games in different bars, different pubs, just by myself. And then over time, you kind of just have to pick up the pieces as quick as you can. So I guess for my pieces, um, I watch the game very closely in terms of analytics. Now, mm. I should be upfront. I don't know a lot of stats. I'm not going deep into like uh, expected goals or anything like that. Um, but just anticipating and reviewing what kind of players um, play certain positions and how they differentiate differentiate between each other. Um, and then from there, I kind of just wrote, I started out writing a few analysis pieces for a blog called Managing Madrid. So it was just all Real Madrid content. Um, and that really helped me get my feet wet, kind of learn the market, learn about transfer windows, um, learn about different players and things like that. And then it just branched outwards. But I think what it can bring to my pieces, I would say is 
just a perspective of someone who is watching it from base level, which mm -hmm. as soccer is growing in Canada, when you're getting new readers into the game, that can become um, easier to read for everybody. If it's an in-depth feature, I can also do that as well. But uh, in a growing market like this, it's not bad. And it also makes for a funny joke anytime I tell an editor that I've never kicked a ball. So. <laughs> um, I want to go back to, you mentioned that um, just kind of your journey. Um, I, people might not know we're both uh, Carleton alums. Um, just tell us about how you kind of got started. You you mentioned managing Madrid. How did you get started in, in the industry, going to school? And just tell us maybe a bit about your journey from to where you are uh, from the beginning when you were 15 to where you are today. Yeah, so, I mean, as you know, there's not a lot of journalism schools in Canada. There's not much to pick from. Um, but as I said earlier, journalism was my dream job from when I was six seven years old. So um, I was a little eager when, you know, you're seven and you're researching what universities have journalism programs. Um, and honestly, when I was that young, I found Carlton and I was like, okay, this wow. is going to be it. So I kind of worked to uh, get accepted. And then from there, honestly, it wasn't until maybe second year that I actually decided I wanted to cover sports. I was still trying to figure it out. Ottawa is a very political market, obviously, as is Carleton. Um, but yeah, second year, I decided, you know what? I fully can comprehend how big soccer is. It's going to be coming um, to the United States and Canada, the World Cup in 2026. This might be a market that I'm interested in. And as I mentioned, it's already a hobby, so why not uh, make it a career? So honestly, I have Twitter to thank for every mm -hmm. single job I've ever had any gig wow. I've ever had um, it's an interesting feat um, but I owe everything to that social media platform why is that I was very big on cold dming journalists in my second year in university so um, I've never done that ever. you know people yeah. uh, people from ESPN TSN um a lot of European markets, just because obviously at the time there was more than, and just to follow. And I found um, a female football journalist who was based in Toronto, but she worked for European outlets. So I sent a follow, I sent a DM um, lots of the times as, I mean, as we know, people don't necessarily answer, but when you strike gold, sometimes you can get a little bit lucky. So she actually answered um, my DM and we were talking a little bit. I just asked her a few basic questions about the industry, um, what it's like doing it in Toronto, uh, what it's like doing it as a, as a woman as well. And she put me in contact with someone who worked at Marca in Spain. So she knew I was a Madrid fan and just through word of mouth, he said, yeah, we can take you on. Um, being in the Eastern time zone helps um, just to help take over their late shifts for them. That way somebody doesn't have to work until midnight, one o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was in university working for them. And then I just kind of stayed in the market, kept on following people, kept on DMing people. I wanted more um, on my resume, more experience. And then that's when Managing Madrid came um, and one football as well. All three of those are from, from Twitter and some of my new work or recent work as well. Has been through the platform so it's a lot of uh yeah message sending wow wow that's i mean 
I do that a lot for this podcast. So maybe I haven't been doing it enough. Maybe I need to do it more just to get more jobs. <laughs> so that's really cool. Your story, Emily. And I, I want to ask even a bit more about that uh, with your writing process, because you told me a bit off air that you do more kind of breaking news or kind of recaps. Tell, give us a kind of a, a look inside what your writing process is for when you're working for one football and, and just a little bit more about how you write and, and what kind of your goals are when you're writing. Yeah, so One Football, um, we operate as a 24-7 newsroom. So we are in a few different languages. So I work for the English team. Um, I'm remote. I'm based in Toronto. They're based out of Berlin. So again, being Eastern time zone helps because uh, I can cover a late shift for someone else. But basically, um, when I log on at uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock, it's any breaking news that comes through. So um, I was on, for instance, when Dortmund confirmed Bellingham to Real Madrid. So you grab the presser, you write it up briefly, um, add your media, add your videos, uh, headline writing, and then you send it out. So one football is an app. So we're responsible for creating the push notification and then you send it through. And it's basically staying on top of the news cycle. Um, but when it comes to tournaments and everything, so for the Men's World Cup, Women's World Cup, Euros, um, the Nations League, we always do preview content, um, Champions League, any big Premier League or top five finals, you'll also get preview content. So there's a good balance between breaking news and also being able to write features. Um, but it's majority of it is a news cycle, transfer window, keeps you busy. And then uh, we cover basically every league. So it's covering any game um, as it's scheduled. So do you have an editor or is it just you have to make sure you don't make any mistakes or like a, like a, a typo or anything along those lines? Uh, it's both. So breaking news, um, depending on what it is. So um, something. For instance, I was the editor on duty when the Mason Greenwood incident uh, went fully public last year and uh, Man United had to make a statement and everything. So that would 110% go through an editor. Um, if I'm on by myself, then it's it's just me. Any feature work, we have sub-editors, um, but it kind of just depends on who's around, uh, how quickly you need to get the news out, but it keeps you on your toes because um, the responsibility all falls on whoever is on. So if it's just me, then yeah. So I, I just imagine my like imagine your life where you're on Twitter, like scrolling through news cycles, having Fabrizio Romano updates. Is that kind of what it's like a little bit of just being all over me uh, online and, and looking for those kind of big updates and transfers or goals and, and stuff? Yeah, 100%. I actually have uh, Romano's uh, notifications turned on on my phone. So every morning I wake up to a bajillion tweets from him and I have to catch up on today's news, but I'm just waking up. So you're six hours behind. Um, so yeah, he's always tweeting things. Um, also in the newsroom, everyone's always, because we operate in different languages, you'll get uh, any breaking news that's coming from Italy. For instance, the Italian team can share it with the English team. Um, so it really is a 24 seven newsroom. Um, Slack is a wonderful, wonderful software. And, you know, you can just share as much as you can see in real time with everybody. And then you uh, send it out as breaking. Mm -hmm. 
And you you mentioned a little bit about asking um, a fellow journalist about their experience as a woman in the industry. I want to I want to ask you what has it been like for you to be a woman, and maybe what advice would you give to women or anyone coming up in in the soccer media industry? Yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate not to have many negative experiences. Um, I think that's important to share. It's important to say. Um, and anytime I talk to uh, younger or even Carlton students or any DMs I get, knowing how Twitter has been helpful to me, I always try to answer. So I think for myself personally, going into any role, I, you know, you have to go into it with, with full confidence. And if you're applying for a role and you're getting an interview and maybe it is a male dominated industry, this can be soccer, this can be any sport, really. Um, you're getting an interview for a reason. If you mm -hmm. get hired, you're getting hired for a reason as well. And um, if they ultimately go and you sign a contract with them, then you're there because of the quality work that you can do. So mm -hmm. personally, I try not to look into it too, too much. Um, and I'm trying to share that and share my advice with everybody. But you know, it, it can be difficult at times. Um, sometimes there's been instances where my work has been questioned mm. um, and then I can follow up with other editors and, you know, you talk about it and it's like, okay, maybe this shouldn't have been questioned. Mm. Why was this questioned? Um, but you're never going to not have those experiences. Again, I've been fortunate to have very few. Um, and I think that's important to say, but um I don't I don't think there really should be any any difference again if you're if you're working for a company and regardless of what it is um I cover men's and women's soccer but I'm more knowledgeable in men's soccer so sometimes that's not assumed it's because like when people talk to me sometimes they're like oh you can cover all the women's stuff and I'm like actually I don't know as much women's soccer as I do men's soccer because I started with the men's game first um, so you got to go through some awkward conversations, but, yeah. uh, yeah, if you're hired, if you get an interview, if you're working for someone, you're writing somewhere and you have a byline, then you, you deserve to be there and don't let, um, your gender or, you know, the market that you're working in kind of deter you from moving forward. And just, uh, this just goes for anybody, regardless, just keep on pushing, send the cold emails, send the DMs, send something. You never know what's going to land. Um, like I said, I've been very lucky to have people actually respond to my DMs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's becoming more of a normal thing for people to do now, okay. especially as the platform's growing, connections are always great to have. Um, so yeah, just keep, don't be afraid to feel like you're nagging somebody. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and with that, I, I wanna know. ask, how do you, when you ask someone what's, like how do you ask them because I've, I've heard a lot of journalists say like that um that I've had on the podcast say don't don't nag but be nice about it so maybe what how do you do it uh just for for journalists that want to know how yeah for sure um I think in my specific market um obviously Canadian soccer is growing tenfold um, what the women's national team has done over the last couple of years has been phenomenal, but then the rise of the men's as well has really made it grow in this country. So the way I approached my career, even from when I was starting out at Carleton, is there's going to be a market 
soon, whether it's here or not, or it's still developing is a different story, but someone's going to have to be here, be in the country, be in Toronto or in Vancouver, wherever it may be to cover the game and have enough knowledge and experience to do so when it comes to big tournaments like the one coming up uh, in 2026. So for me, it was just how can I build my skills and get enough experience in other international outlets where the game's already established and bring the knowledge and my experience there back to a Canadian market that's just trying to bloom. Mm -hmm. So whenever I send a DM or something, it's, uh, it depends on who I'm talking to, I would say. A lot of times um, I'm not responding to an ad so it's very much a cold message um i don't even know if they're hiring i have no idea what their budget is or anything so um you just go in and i kind of explain what i do explain what i would like to do for the organization or the outlet um and try and sell my work and my quality as a boost for the future for them to have mm -hmm. um so again don't be uh bombarding somebody's email inbox they don't always want to have an email every day or anything but again don't be afraid to follow up I had one job in particular I did once a month and it took me five or six months but that's only five or six emails total again don't go every week um, but eventually it did uh, it did hit so then I was fortunate enough to work with them so it's uh, a little bit of a game you learn as you grow I think yeah. if I went back and read my emails maybe from first year second year university of me just starting out i'd probably have lots of things to say to younger me but um <laughs> yeah just sell yourself sell what uh what you want to do what you think you can boost um for an outlet and bring to an outlet um even if somebody's already there doing what you would like to do um you know having more than one person can always help depending on how big or small the outlet may be if they're still growing um but just no, my, I guess my best piece would just be know what you do, know what you personally do well, and just try and sell it as best as you can. Well, I think that sounds like great advice to any young journalist, hopefully listening to this podcast. So thank you, Emily, for sharing that. And I want to ask you, because you mentioned it about the growth of the game in, in this country, and you've written about the C CPL, the Canadian Premier League. And I, I want to talk about that before we go into Canada soccer. Um, how impactful has it been for the game in this country to have a domestic men's professional league in the CPL in your mind? Oh, incredible. I remember when um, the first rumors were coming out and immediately, I'll be honest, I was talking to my dad right away, who is not a big, big soccer fan, but it was kind of a, he grew up watching uh, Chelsea and like Aston Villa and everything. So saying you know finally there's going to be a men's professional league it's going to be cross country there's going to be a decent amount of leagues um kind of a for me it was a finally moment mm. finally we're going to have somewhere for players to go um i'm also a huge huge advocate for youth sports and the connection that the cpl can bring with youth sports and developing talent that way um i actually i covered the ravens for a few two or three seasons actually cool. um so you know you just see so much untapped talent at that level and then finally having a league for 
professional soccer players to start a career rather than just kind of fizzling out was something that Canada desperately needed. And the way it's grown has been um, incredible as well. They opened the first season was uh, 2019 in this, a bit of the second, I believe was yeah. Part of the COVID outbreak. I mean, they got through that a lot of things as sports aside, didn't necessarily survive COVID, but I mean, the league is still thriving. There's more leagues joining all the time. I was also in Ottawa when they announced the expansion there. So mm-hmm. showing that, you know, Canada is taking this very, very seriously, especially after how successful the women's national team has been. Definitely a finally, we need to be put on the map. Canadians are more than just hockey. There needs to be something. And it, it, has, it has been growing uh, tremendously. You know, now you have Vancouver coming out, out west. There's going to be more expansions. Hopefully, maybe they'll get a team in Quebec. Um, and who knows uh, going forward. But it's been a great market, very late to the game. But yeah, a finally moment. And then let's have it build up. Hopefully, I, I felt the same way, obviously, with the CPL, but even more so with Project 8, which is the um, the new domestic league that should come out in, in 2025. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, what impact would that be to finally, on top of a men's domestic league, have a women's domestic league for the first time ever in Canada? Personally, I think that one is going to have a lot more reach. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because of the success of the women's national team program, you're talking about a top ranked uh, country in the FIFA rankings. I know I know some people don't take that very seriously, but when you consider it, you know, Canada's, I believe they're seventh. Yeah, I think after the last update, I think yeah, seventh or eighth. Yeah. Um, Okay, good. you know, that's a country that's up there in the top 10 with the likes of Spain, Brazil, England, uh, the States, Sweden, Germany, who always go to finals. They always win tournaments. Canada, the double bronze, now the gold. But the lone difference is Canada was the one without any women's professional league. So you're forcing players to go to Europe, to go to the NWSL. Now, in a couple of years, there's going to be a market for female youth sports students. Hopefully, I haven't heard anything, but... I would assume it would mirror uh, the CPL. So you have talent building that way. You're allowing talent to stay. You know, some players might not be comfortable with moving overseas immediately after school or depending on the contracts that they can get. Maybe they can't go to the States. So now they, they're going to have a market to stay in the country. Hopefully it's going to be top competition. Um, I am wary of that to begin with but I don't foresee it being a problem um and then it's just going to make Canada even better because to be a country in the top 10 I mean I work for majority international outlets and when I try explaining um the success that our women's national team program has everyone knows and then you go backwards and you say yeah but we actually don't have a league for anybody to play in in our own country they're they don't even know that they're like what are you talking about I'm like yeah most of them are in the United States or in um, in England or, you know, uh, who else? Paris, Paris Saint-Germain, Ashley Lawrence and things like that. So you're not going to have to force players out. You're going to be able to keep players in, retain them, develop them. Again, hopefully that U Sports can, connection can come in handy. And if you already have the success in the program without it, what do you think is going to happen when the league is actually here and we get better? That could be mm-hmm. a top five ranking. That could be a top three. Yeah, so hopefully it can 
Yeah, no, and I want to go to the Canadian men's national team who yesterday lost pretty lopsidedly to the United States. Maybe for you, Emily, what went wrong? And other than maybe, I know you tweeted about how the great kit, the the great Canadian kit. So other than that, it felt as though nothing went well for Canada. So just maybe give us a little recap of what you thought about that game last night. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to start off, I do I do adore the black kit. Um, I, I always think it just brings a little bit of an added edge. So it was nice. To, I didn't... Uh, register what kit they were wearing until maybe like the fifth minute and I was like oh we're wearing the black one that's a good one um but uh, yeah in terms of the game I think you know I was fortunate enough to cover the men's world cup um and you know with a spotlight focus on Canada and I think they may have bit off more than they could chew mm. now was that going to happen most likely. It was a phenomenal qualification. I don't want to take uh, anything from what John Herdman's men and the boys did, but when you're going into something as large as a World Cup with top teams, you're going to have to learn how to play in the big games with pressure. Obviously, there was a newfound pressure when it came to actually qualifying. Playing in the World Cup is another step forward. And then, obviously, we all know how it panned out, and Canada has a lot of lessons going into the next one now turning it to the nation's league i think the same theme happened in the final so the semi-final against panama that was pretty that was pretty standard um in my opinion you know alfonso davies jonathan david two nil let's make it to the final phenomenal to reach a final and have the chance to win their first title in 23 years but when you're playing against someone like the united states who was at home it's your biggest rival. And it's again, it's a high pressure game. It was another kind of learning curve for the Canadians that, okay, if you want to be at the top and it's, uh, you want to be recognized as a top team in CONCACAF and let alone the global market, you're going to have to know how to win the big games. And I just think from kickoff, it did not appear like they were fully ready for the final. Um, I forget, um, who mentioned this on the broadcast what that I was listening to, but they just appeared second to everything, second to every ball. I think we had the first first or second shot on target. So I thought, yeah. okay, this might be a good start. And then it just kind of flatlined. So in a final that big, if if you really like if you really want to break the trophy drought and make a statement and get the special send-off, especially for Atiba, then you know, uh simply put. It's time to buckle up. But that being said, I do think there's a lot of things to learn. I thought there was some bright individual cameos um, throughout the game, even though it panned out the way it did. Um, I've been very impressed with Alistair Johnston over the last uh, few years, actually, bar before his move to Celtic. Um, Kone, also an incredible addition. Um, I'm a big fan of Tejan Buchanan as well. I think he could have been introduced a little bit earlier. Um, just because he brings something extra to the front line. But yeah, overall, Canada just came off as if they weren't 110% prepared. And I don't I don't mean like to come off as if they didn't prepare at all, because obviously they did. But there was something, some sort of advantage that the U.S. just had over them right from the start. Whether that was one player and Gio Reyna, you know, he came off and then 
they never scored another goal. So who knows? But uh, yeah, the Americans just knew they've been there before. They knew what it takes and they knew how to get it done against the Canadian side who's still in the learning curve. Uh, there's a lot of questions today reading and on Twitter and on the, in, in the media about John Herdman and his decisions, especially since the World Cup. Uh, what do you make of his performance last night? A lot of people are asking what Davies was doing. You alluded to the substitutions. Just do you think there's something – do you think John Herdman needs to maybe – learn a bit has his job been has he been doing as good a job since they've qualified just maybe what have you thought about John Herdman as the coach of the national team uh especially last night yeah I mean I think the coach is going to be the one who who obviously will get the most criticism and especially in a day and age where people can instantly react to masses on Twitter and post something there's going to be a lot of people who have what they have to say, um, myself included. I mean, I tweeted a few things throughout the game, but I think you can't take away what Herdman did for the men's program during qualification because he brought Canada to a level which showed the world or hinted at the world, at least for the, from, for the beginning, that Canada can do this. It is possible. It's not just the United States and Mexico. The World Cup is a massive jump. And then since the World Cup in December, it's been six months, uh, give or take. And, you know, how how often is the squad together? I think they just haven't had enough time to fully recoup, digest the World Cup maybe. Um, I'm not in the camp, so I'm not entirely sure. But international breaks are few and far between. You got players moving, transferring, players all playing in different leagues, different styles that have to come together and blend. So I think it, I mean, it wasn't, he still got them to a final. He still got them to a final for the first time in X amount of years. They had a chance to break the trophy drought. So you can't um, pile a huge amount of blame on Herdman at all, I don't think. And unfortunately, as the coach, he's going to be the one to get it. No one's going to know what they talk about in the locker room. No one's going to know what the game plan was. Um, everyone can have an opinion. Um, so I think going forward, the biggest thing is just trying to maybe get the squad up to speed with feeling that kind of pressure. I think, um, the Mm. substitutions, uh, for me, at least they all brought a boost to the game. So Tejan Buchanan, uh, I thought again, was a really good addition. Uh, Steven Vittoria at the back as well. I think it was just. I don't know if the 352 was a bit of a shock to the system, the position or the formation change for Canada. The five person midfield couldn't really break down the United States. It was interesting to see no substitutions at halftime. Yeah. Um and then they reverted back four eventually. But I don't I don't know. I don't know if it was just trying to change change things and switch things up, hit the United States with something different for a final. Um, but then ultimately, yeah, you have Davies who takes over the role of I I need to do everything. Yeah. And you know, he's obviously the most uh, famous face, at least, on the Canadian national team. And he's going to be the player to feel that kind of pressure. He's playing in one of the top teams in the world at Bayern Munich. He knows what it's like to feel the pressure. But maybe was it necessary to have him play every single position almost Um, have him be that fluid player. Who's just merging in between. Um, There was one instance 
towards the end of the match, maybe like the 80th minute, give or take, and uh, took a shot from range and it went well over the bar, but there was three players, um, I believe to his right, who were uh, wide open. And I remember watching all of the teammates just immediately just looked up to the sky, kind of a, okay, chance, chance gone. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a lot of tinkering still. The World Cup was something. The quali- qualification, again, you cannot take away from what the squad did, what the coach did. The World Cup, I think, you know, a lot of fans and even uh, people in our industry are going to have high expectations for Canada after the World Cup. Um, they finally got the goal. Check mark. That's done. Now it's, okay, how consistent can you be? How reliable can you be when it comes to uh, pressured moments like that? How many finals can you actually reach? Next up is uh, the Gold Cup. You know, like, how is that going to pan out? But six months apart, it's going to be difficult to regroup the squad. Um, trying something different in a final, sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, I think Herdman's just going to feel the pressure regardless. Um, and going forward, it's just a learning curve. People are going to have a lot of expectations after Qatar, but it's not going to come that quickly. The success is going to grow slow and steady. So mm-hmm. hopefully it can just continue to grow upwards. And I want to ask you about uh, a little bit about the transfers because a lot of the players on the men's national team, especially a couple few are very much linked to, to big moves this summer. The biggest of them all is, is Jonathan David, maybe from where you sit at one football and then what, you know, where do you think he might go and, and what might be the best place for him to go next or this summer, I guess, uh, in a transfer. Uh, this is actually an interesting question. I have no idea. Okay. It's something I've been thinking about for the last, uh, I'd say the last two summer windows after uh, they won the league in France. I'm I'm conflicted. I, I don't foresee a specific team where he might fit. Um, again, at One Football, we cover all the top five markets. So I'm trying to think, okay, you're going to want something, some sort of a move within Europe's top five still. Um, I think he definitely has to leave uh, his current team league. I, I think it's kind of just a mute point if you want to develop your game, especially as how young he is as well. But where he goes next, I'm, I'm kind of tied. I see and I read a lot of links to Man U. Um, Arsenal was also a heavily linked club. But does he necessarily get a starting role at either of those clubs? I would go no. United, uh, not immediately. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, but it's a hard maybe I would go. I don't know. So someone like uh, maybe like a, a mid-table in the Premier League. So, I mean, if Harry Kane leaves, he can go to Spurs. Yeah, yeah that's that's the rumor I've Some, seen the most, uh, but it doesn't sound like Kane's leaving. So that kind of make it what you will of that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Um Perhaps a club like Brighton, who's going to be playing in, in the Europa League um, for the first time in a long time. And then uh, Spurs, if they sell him. Even in, I mean, Kyle Lahren's been very impressive in La Liga too. So the Spanish market's the one that I watch the most, just being a Madrid fan. That one as well could be a smart move. I don't think anyone in Germany would be beneficial. He's already in France and... I think it just, it has to be the PL, but I don't have an answer. And I think personally, because I don't have an answer, I don't think he's going to move. 
Wow. Wow. I'd be very, I'd be very surprised if he moves this this summer, at least. Yeah. Do you, do you think it might be the case that it's he has to just wait for all the dominoes to fall? Like look at Kane, look at Awesomeman, look at all those kind of big strikers that are are linked to big moves, or, or maybe not. And, and then maybe in August or something, he's after the dust has settled that he finds someone. Or do you think you're? Do you think it's just he doesn't have a, a perfect place and thus he won't move? Uh, I I don't mind that approach actually. Uh, the August, the wait to see what happens. Um, yeah, I think if he were to move, that probably would be the way it goes. Again, I hope I'm wrong. That that being said, I don't necessarily want a, to say a player should stay where he is, um, obviously. But yeah, I just I don't have a front runner right now in my mind, at least. I like you said, I don't think Kane's going to leave uh, Spurs that easily. Um, I believe Madrid's president today, I think, or yesterday said they're all done signing. And he was heavily linked with uh, Real. So I don't, Man United also backed out. So Kane looks like he's set to stay. Um, someone, I don't believe Napoli will get rid of Victor. I think they'll want to keep him for at least a few more seasons, maybe one or two. Uh, Juve, maybe. Milan, maybe. Um, they're both trying to rebuild everything and, you know, get back to the top tier status in Italy. So that's that's a maybe, but it's a lot of, you know, David, the qualities that he can bring to a team are there. You have the stats to back it up, but it's almost as though it's whose squad is he actually going to boost? Whose mm -hmm. squad has that hole for him to fill and be like, oh, you're the guy we need. We need to put um, money towards that signing and actually get it and beat people. So I don't know. I'd, I'd say let's hope you're right. And uh, the August move, let's hope I'm wrong. <laughs> um, with that, I know Tejon Buchanan's been linked to Inter for a long time, but it seems as though that's maybe died down a little bit. Just maybe where do you, what do you think happens with him this summer? Do you think he stays? Do you think he goes? What do you think? Uh, I think he personally definitely needs a move. Um, I think where he is um, is great. I mean, but to be heavily linked with the club like Inter for so long as well, I think it's been probably uh, a season and a half, I believe, give or take, that I've kind of seen his name kind of floating everywhere. But uh, I think he needs a transfer to fully flourish because I find he performs at least from what I've seen them much better with the national team than he does with his club, his club team, much more influential with Canada than he is with his current club. So I think it's necessary. Do I think it's going to happen? Uh, Inter have a solid squad. I mean, you're looking at a, an Italian team who realistically it took Napoli as far as they could in the league. They also uh, won the Copa Italia and made it to the Champions League final only to lose one nil. That also is, is there going to be a spot? Is there going to be a starting role? I tend to get frustrated when uh, players transfer. This is not even just regarding Canadian players. This is just in general when players transfer and it looks like it's going to be a good fit and then they get limited minutes. Mm. I'm a big advocate for, or you sign for game time. I think that's the best way to go. Um, again, but this is all I've never played. I've never kicked ball. So this could all be uh, very different than what actual players experience. But just in terms of covering it and watching it, you know, Buchanan 
almost hasn't hit his full potential. It's almost like you get glimpses of it with the national team and it needs to be consistent at club level, club level. And then, you know, maybe he gets this, like he was dropped to the bench for the final, but if he switches clubs, gets, you know, a few goals and assists, even just a handful behind him, consistent performances, then he gets that starting role in the national team. And who knows what can happen there? Cause he really thrives for, for Canada from what I've seen. Yeah, no, I mean, he was probably Canada's best player at the World Cup, right? So, like, he, he, I don't think at the Nations yeah. League he was as good, but he was amazing throughout the qualifying in the World Cup. I, I want to go from one national team to the other and, and with the women's national team. Obviously, they have a big World Cup. There was a lot of strife with it, within the federation between the players and, and the federation. What should the expectations be for, for this national team in a tough group? Uh, in your mind and and maybe what what should fans think is like a good tournament for this uh, bunch of uh, for this women's team uh, I was chatting with friends about this so I was trying to give people insight about the Canadian team I think it's going to be a quarter final run I would be very very surprised and very impressed if uh, obviously if they get further than that um their, their group, so they have Australia hosts, uh, Nigeria, who historically always are a difficult team for Canada. And I forget, I forget the third and final team. I believe it's um, off Ireland. The top of my head. I believe it's Ireland. Uh, right. Yeah, I think on paper, again, statistically, Canada is a top 10 side. They should be winning that group. They should have their eyes fully set on winning that group. But that being said, I don't see them as outright winners. I think having uh, the absence of Janine Becky is going to be huge. That's going to be massive in terms of leadership off the pitch. That's going to be huge on the pitch as well for Canada's attack. Yes, I know we always have Sinclair, but, you know, age um, plays into it. Formations are going to play into it. And Becky was uh, a key leader. So to not have her there is going to be massive. I think, though, the... Not so mentioned players are going to be the ones to make the difference for Canada is what I'm thinking. Mm. Um, obviously, a midfield easy starter, Jesse Fleming, always reliable. The back line is very reliable, Vanessa G and um, Nisha Buchanan. But I think the surprise players are going to be Chloe Lacasse. I think Julia Grosso, she was just uh, awarded Syria uh, midfielder of the season. Wow. That's a huge statement. Um they're going to be the ones, I think, who are going to be the key difference for Canada, um, even in the attack as well, because you're going to be missing a lot of goals. And Canada, in the last couple of games that they've been playing, they've been struggling to score. That was a huge thing. Um, hopefully they can handle the pressure. But I believe if the bracket falls a certain way, they'll face England fairly early in the knockout stages, depending on how things fall. But when I was doing kind of a prediction, yeah. that's a possibility. Um, and a lot of teams look very in form right now. There's a huge amount of absences in this World Cup, unfortunately, for the women's game. A lot of key stars are going to be missing, um, which is very, very unfortunate. But that doesn't necessarily mean everyone's anyone's going to be particularly weaker. Um, I think an underdog could very well be Sweden. I would not be surprised if they finish at least top three i'm not sure if the americans are going to three p i'm not too confident in that mm -hmm. um but spain, even with internal issues spain look very good 
um, a lot of federations are having internal issues actually. So France as well, they have a new yeah. manager. Um, but then they recalled some huge, huge names. Um, Wendy Renard is coming back. Henri is coming back. Lisa Mayer is coming back. Those are key players with a lot of experience. So don't count out France just because of the issues never count out Spain. Um, you know, treble winning Barca players over the last couple of seasons. They just won the Women's Champions League. And even though Alexia Puteas is injured, obviously she's coming off the ACL uh, injury. She's not going to be her best, but you're talking about a two-time Ballon d'Or winner yeah. who is going to be a game changer even if she plays for 20 minutes. Um, so Canada is going to need to rely on game changers. I think substitutions are going to be key. Um, but out of the squad, I'd say uh, my one to watch is definitely going to be Lacasse. Mm. She's slowly starting to kind of create a spot for herself on the team. Um and a phenomenal, phenomenal record with Benfica. Um, not a lot of, I was writing a piece earlier and I didn't know this, but it, it did impress me. It shocked me really. She finished as the second, uh, joint second highest scorer in the women's champions league. Wow. This season, wow. which I don't think a lot of people know. Um, I believe there was four or five players all tied for second, but Benfica were eliminated in the group stage. That's crazy. So to be apply that on that list. Uh, so she definitely in form. It's the right time. Unfortunately, Becky's out, but this gives an opportunity for her to make a nudge for that starting position. And if she's not in the starting role, then she must make an impact off the bench. But given the form, I think she can. And Canada's internal issues, I think, as we saw at the She Believes Cup. Yeah. It's definitely going to play a role for sure where, you know, where conversations are at right now with the Federation. I, you don't know what's going on internally. You don't know how the camp is going to feel. Hopefully though, it's not going to be a repeat because of the She Believes performance, at least uh, in a positive light. Obviously conversations may be going behind the scenes, but during the She Believes Cup, that's when everything was hitting major news cycles, major headlines. They were the talk. They were the focus. That spotlight isn't necessarily going to be there um, for the World Cup this summer. So maybe that's an added boost. Um, who knows? A lot of players could still be very, very frustrated, um, have things to say, want to be able to have things to say. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I hopefully they can go all the way. But I'd be surprised if it was further than the quarterfinals. I yeah, think. no, I, I think with the cloud of the the stripe between the federation, I find it hard to believe that they go far. And I, like, I don't even I wouldn't even blame them, honestly. Um, so hopefully they win it all. But I, I find that hard to believe. And but uh, yeah, I think quarterfinals would be fun, a little run. And that that was better than they did in 2019. So that'd be that'd be great, too. <laughs> I, I want to ask you before I go before you go. Sorry. Um, how excited are you for Messi to the MLS? Um, and, and maybe what impact could it have on on Canadian soccer as well, just to have Messi going to Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto, maybe not this year, but in, in years to come? It definitely shocked me. I'll give you that. Um, obviously, when he left Barca in 20, 2021, 
everyone thought, okay, maybe Miami, like where else would Lionel Messi actually go to go to PSG was a big surprise uh, for me. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, so he's always been linked. Obviously, uh, David Beckham's there. He's going to be a huge influence um, as co-owner. So to have it be officially done and also the way the deal was done, kind of just out of nowhere, especially with all the Saudi Arabia links, for him to come out, have a press conference. Um, I was actually working that day and everyone's like, Messi wow. speaking. I was like, what do you mean, Messi speaking? Uh, time to jump on uh, Google to Translate. It's a Mundo Deportivo uh, content. <laughs> Figure out what he's saying. But it, out of the blue, it looks like it was done very, very quickly, obviously. And for the market, it's going to be huge because now you have the Copa America, um, which is coming to the North American market. You're going to have the 2026 World Cup coming to the market. Arguably, the greatest player of all time is now coming to North America. It's it's a game changer. It's a shifting moment. For Canadian landscapes, I think, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, it's going to be incredibly hard for everybody to get tickets. Yeah. I think it's before he even signed, I took a look and they were already at like six, 700 before it was confirmed. It was just when the rumors were going and I was like, oh, here we go. But uh, I think that also kind of shows you how popular the game is getting. Like people mm. know there's going to be big stars coming. People are going to want to come. Um, something like when TFC signed uh, Lorenzo, I was like, did that did that actually just happen? Um, I was living in Berlin at the time, oh, and wow. I was talking to our Italian at one football, and I was like, um, "Did you guys know that he just moved to TFC?" And they were all asking me like, "Why is he going there?" I was like, "I have zero idea. I have no idea." But it's another big star, um, you know, moving over to North America. There's going to be um, a big split though now with the Saudi Pro League taking a lot of talents uh, out to Saudi Arabia. Um, what do you like make of every that, day. of the Saudis putting so much money? Like, do you think that could just completely change the landscape of, of football as we know it for a long, long time? Just they're, they're buying a lot of players, like good players. Oh, absolutely. Um, I saw, um, I did not fact check this, but I did see a tweet yesterday. Uh, Ruben Neves from Wolves. Yeah. He's, uh, not even 30. He's going to potentially sign for Saudi Arabia. I don't know if that deal was finalized or not. Um, I but think Fabrizio just, said it was. So. But. Okay. Um, he was playing in Portugal and then he went to Wolves um, who haven't won anything. They finished very uh, mid-table in the Premier League. And now he's going to Saudi Arabia potentially for X amount of money. There's a question mark there because we're never going to know what the final figure is, but it's big money that's being offered. And that very well could be the trajectory of careers now, depending on what, what pans out. I think he's only 26, 27 years old. Yeah. And then who knows what's going to come after that. I don't know if it will be very popular for players to go to Saudi Arabia and then leave um, because it's we haven't seen that ever before so who knows what's going to happen um is the saudi arabian league going to be a stepping stone for younger players or is it going to keep all the players there uh, because of the lucrative contracts that are being offered who knows i mean if you listen to what ronaldo says in his interviews he says it's a growing league um i personally have not watched any games so i don't know what um 
the quality is, but it's going to change the landscape drastically. But I think it's going to be a huge loss for MLS because now players are going to have one or two options to go to. Um, You know, I'm sure you've heard MLS was always dubbed the league where players go to retire is what a lot of people said. Like, you know, you got, um, you got Rooney, Ibra, uh, Kaka and anybody. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, You can make the argument. Sure. But you can also make the argument against it because MLS is becoming an incredibly competitive league with top talent at all ages. And someone even like uh, Gareth Bale, who kind of retired from the game a little bit early, in my opinion. Um, But, you know, he still made the decision to pull her and switch. So it's going to be huge. You're going to have players deciding um, between the two, I think. But Messi's is a massive, massive signing for MLS, for North America as a whole, just because of what's about to come in the next couple of years. Um, How long he stays, in my opinion, not long. How Mm. often he plays. Also, in my opinion, not much. I'd be very surprised to see him starting playing upwards of 20 games. 35 now, I believe, give or take. So, I don't know. Is this going to be the end for Messi? Is going to call it quits in Miami eventually? I don't know. I think he will always want a, a Barca return. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll see. Well, Emily, thanks so much for taking the time and, and doing this. I really, really appreciate it. You were fantastic. Anything you want to plug for one football or anything else you have coming up that people should keep their eyes and ears open for? Um, I mean, yeah, we're going to be covering uh, one football covers all the men's and women's game. <laughs> so if you want to watch uh, and read about Champions League finals, uh, we got that for both. We have all the leagues for both. And, you know, there's a lot of work going into the Women's World Cup. I think it's going to be very entertaining, even with all the unfortunate injuries. We're talking huge, huge names are going to be out. But I think especially off a very entertaining 2019 World Cup, the 2023 edition for the women is going to be equally, if not as competitive. So, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. No, the the women's game, especially in Europe, seems to be going just like upwards. So uh, I'm sure it'll be a really fun World Cup in in Australia, and New Zealand, and 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 thanks so much for for doing this, Emily. I look forward to to reading more at, at One Football, and uh, uh, maybe a couple big. Uh, you break the Jonathan David uh, transfer to to Manchester United. I hope that's you that breaks it before Fabrizio. So um, thanks so much for for doing this and and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Alex. It's been a pleasure.